This is Reverend D. Todd Sloggett at the General Offices of HMA Ministries on the third floor of 619 East Dewey Avenue, downtown Sepulpa, Oklahoma, on the wrong side of the tracks. As a matter of fact, my office is about less than 50 feet probably from the railroad tracks, and you may hear the train go by even while I'm making this recording. If it gets too loud, I'll stop and let it go on by, and then we'll pick right back up where we left off. I want to talk to you today about uh, three blind men. Three blind men. There's three blind men recorded that were healed by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to look at all three of them today for the express purpose of finding out how to get our blindness healed. Everybody has a blindness of some sort. Uh, you may be blind to... Uh, certain truths, certain doctrines, you may be blind to certain um, ways that God could help you that you're not willing to let Him or that you don't understand how to let Him. You may have problems, relationships, uh, finances, um, mental battles, whatever. Whatever the issue is, we're, we're referring to that as blindness today because we know that God can heal it. And we're looking for a, a system or a doctrine or something to understand how to go about getting our, quote, blindness healed. <laughs> With that in mind, let's look at Mark chapter 10 at our first blind man. It says, Mark 10 and 46, it says, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho, with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered, said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Let's look at this story and dissect it a little bit, see what we can figure out about how a blind person can get healed. Uh, first thing I notice, it says, and they came to Jericho. It's, it's important to me, anything that I find in the Bible, any word, any fact, any specific, has got to be important. Because God knows so much. God knows enough to fill up every book and ocean and cloud in the sky with words and type and print. And God only gave us 66 little books. So obviously of all the stuff God knows, what he gave us is super important to us. Now the Bible is not a, a history book. It's not written in chronological order. It's, it's not here to, to prove or disprove science necessarily. The Bible is specifically a road map on how to get a human soul from wherever it is to where it needs to go. To help me and you and anybody else get from here to heaven, to miss hell and make heaven. That's what it is. So everything in there is for that purpose. I've read lots of stories in the Bible, lots of places in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and it just 
uh, lets me know of a certain happening, of a certain occurrence, of a certain person doing a certain thing, and it never even tells me where it is. So lots of things Abraham did, lots of things Moses did that I have no idea where they did it. So when it specifies here very specifically where it happened, that jumps out at me that this is something I should be knowing about. And it actually is Jericho, which is a very important place at the time that this, this book is recorded. Jericho is a major hub of commerce, major hub of finance. It's, it's one of the capitals of religious thought at the time. It is, it is a, a very large population for that area at the time. So, so we, we must let that stick out to us that, that Jericho must be important because he, when he doesn't tell us where something happens, it's because the where is not important. So when he does tell us where something happens, the where is important. So first thing we see about the healing of this blind man, it happened in an important place goes on to say, and he went out uh, Jericho with the disciples, great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Again, very important. How many places do we read in the Bible where it says a certain man? A certain man did this. Uh, there was two brothers that did this. A certain woman came by and this happened. It doesn't tell us who very often because obviously the who isn't what matters. It's the situation that matters. This time it does tell us who, why. Why all of a sudden in a book with lots of uh, people that aren't named is somebody named. Obviously the writer understood that the readers would, would know who this person is and come to find out Timaeus is an important person. I don't, I don't understand exactly political or religious or what, but the, the way that he's recorded tells us this important person. Think about this, if, if I get in a car wreck today on the way home, the newspapers are probably covered tomorrow and they'll say that there was a car wreck on a certain road at a certain time and somebody got hurt or whatever. But it's not gonna say Todd Sloggett got in a car wreck on a certain road at a certain time because nobody reading that paper will have any idea who Todd Sloggett is. It's a waste of space and time. But let's say uh, right now the governor of Oklahoma is Governor Fallon. So let's say Governor Fallon's son gets in a car wreck tonight on the way home. The newspaper will cover that tomorrow and they will say Governor Fallon's son Bobby got in a car wreck at a certain place at a certain time. It's, it's noted the person because the person is important enough that people would know who that is. So in a Bible filled with lots of incidences of no-name people, all of a sudden this blind person in this important place is named because it's an important person, or at least the son of an important person. So we got two facts right off the bat. Number one, this blind person was healed in an important place, and the blind person that was healed was either an important person or at least from the family of some important people. It goes on. And when he heard that it was Jesus Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now we have this important person in this important place acting out, acting crazy, getting loud, yelling, screaming, carrying on. Now, if you're listening to this, you may very well be from a Pentecostal church 
and you know what it's like to see people trying to get the attention of Jesus or get in the spirit with Christ or whatever. And you know what it's like to see them act out and get loud and hoop and holler and, and carry on. So obviously there's, there, that's not something we just made up. There's some Bible reference right there in Mark chapter 10 to getting beside yourself, acting out, not being so quiet and calm and respectable, but, but there's some excitement involved in trying to touch Jesus or trying to be touched by Jesus. So we have an important person in an important place, uh, acting loud and crazy and, and, and adamant. And then the next thing that happened, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good cheer, rise. He calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Here's our next important point. This, this blind man's garment is an important detail. It's just like uh, today uh, in, in modern age, uh, times where you see a man walking down the street, and uh, he walk, he's got a big, long, skinny white stick with a red tip on the end. That's for several reasons. Number one, for him to feel his way along because he can't see. But number two, it's specifically certain length and certain colors to let other people know that can see that, hey, that's a blind man. That stick is also saying, if you see me coming, you might watch out for me because I can't watch for you. If you see me kind of stumbling along, acting a little crazy, I'm not drunk or anything, I'm just blind. The same thing with this blind man's garment. It's telling people, if you see me out here begging, I'm not just a, a, some lazy bum. I can't do the job that you do because I can't see. If, if you see me walking around, you may kind of watch out for me and help me along because this garment tells you that, that I can't see. Well, this is an amazing thing that he tosses this garment off on his way to go see what Jesus wants. Jesus hasn't touched him yet. Hasn't, he hasn't directly met the master yet. He's not healed. He's just as blind as he ever was. But something rises up inside him and says, If that guy is who y'all say he is and he's calling me and I'm going to go come in direct contact with him, if he's the one that breaks bread and multiplies it in thin air, if He's the one that walks on water. If he is the one that tells the wind to die down and it lays down because he said so. If that's the Messiah that I've been hearing all of these stories about and he's calling me and I'm going to go meet him. I don't need this garment anymore. By faith, he leaves that behind to go get his healing. Praise God. So putting together this formula, if you will, of how to get healed of our blindness, we see that number one, it's, it, it ha uh, blindness seems to get healed in this case in an important place to an important person that, that gets uh, loud and, and, and a little wild and, and gets adamant about and then goes so far as to put forth a, a, a giant act of faith, a huge step of faith. And then once this important person in this important place gets loud and beside himself and, and, and acts all crazy and goes so far as to take this huge leap of faith, then Jesus heals his blindness immediately. The Bible said, and immediately he received his sight, followed Jesus in the way. So that's this particular blind man. So he was from a well-known family. 
He met Christ in a popular place. He yelled and screamed and carried on. He took a huge radical step of faith. And Jesus healed him immediately. Now, if you and I would have been there when that happened, this would have became our standard. This would now be the way that you and I know that Jesus heals blind people. We would go around probably in our religious arenas trying to accomplish the same or similar scenario where we found important people in important places acting wild and crazy and convincing them to, to act crazy and to step out in some huge leap of faith so that Jesus could immediately heal them. Amen. Stay with me. <laughs> well, let's, let's look at the second blind man. John 9 and 1 is where we find the second blind man. John 9 and 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Now, let's look at our standard. Let's look at the, the example that we know of, that we were there for, the first blind man. And let's compare that to the second blind man and make sure that our, our standard works here. First of all, where did the second man get healed at? We have no idea. We have no idea. It doesn't tell us anything about anywhere. Hmm. Well, let's go on to our second point. Uh, who was the second blind man? What's his name? What's his dad's name? What, what family line is he from? What's his bloodline? What tribe? We have no idea. It doesn't name him, and it doesn't name the place where this took place. So all of a sudden, in this second blind man's case, we have no particular person in no particular place. We also do not see him yelling and screaming and carrying on and, and acting out. But something strange does happen. There's some spit involved. Jesus spits. I, I don't remember any spit in the first one. This is odd. This is bizarre. Think about this. We're used to it and we don't pay that much attention. But Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with spit. And put it on a guy's face. On his eyes. I mean, think about that. If you went to church and you had a problem, you had a, a, a physical or a mental or emotional or a marital or a financial problem, and the preacher wanted to pray for you and he spit on the ground and picked up his spit and wiped it on your face. What? Not only did this healing not take place to a particular person, not take place in a particular place, no, we, not only was the blind man not, not acting crazy and radical, but he wasn't even healed immediately. 
the first one, the healing was immediate. The second one, he was given something to do. Go wash. Now, I did skip one step of our standard. We, we This wasn't a particular person. It was not in a particular place. Uh, there wasn't radical, crazy acting out, uh, jumping and yelling and screaming. The, the next step in our standard is uh, taking a, a huge step of faith. This second man, that's the only thing we can equate. He did take a huge step of faith. Because when Jesus said, go wash, he went. Somebody just spit on the ground and wipes spit mud on your face and tells you to go do something for your healing and you take off doing it, friend, that's faith. So even of our standard, the only thing of all the four or five points that seems to apply at all here is the, the huge step of faith. Now, before we go on any further, I, I want you to try to imagine something with me right here. Let's, let's in our minds pretend like the, the first blind man, he's already healed. The second blind man is, is on his way to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Let me ask you a question. If somebody you know was, was blind all their life, decades long blind person, and then they went to a particular church service and somebody prayed for them and then bam, they were immediately made to where they could see. What do you think would happen to that person? I know, just by human nature, and by being in the ministry all these years, I know pretty much what I think would happen. I think he would develop a ministry. I know some people that had some miraculous healings, and they actually go around testifying of their healings and, and preaching in different services and, and promoting God and God's healing and encouraging people's faith. And I think that's probably what would happen right here. This man that was blind his whole life met Jesus. Jesus healed him immediately. And he probably started going around to different home churches and going out on the, on the square in the, at noontime and, and preaching and testifying and witnessing of being healed of Jesus Christ. So let's just say, uh, allow me to use my imagination for a minute here and try to go with me. Let's say this first blind man is actually standing out on the street corner somewhere and, and he's, he's downtown Jericho where he, where he got healed, this important place. And he's proclaiming like he has maybe many, many days in a row. And he's got followers now. And he's got people following Jesus. And he's praying for people. And maybe people are getting healed. And so he's standing out there and he's preaching or he's testifying and he's proclaiming. And here comes the second blind man, kind of with his arms out, feeling his way down the sidewalk or down the street or or feeding down the wall of a building trying to work his way towards Siloam so that he can wash. He's got mud, dirt, spit on his face. He looks like a crazy person and he's, he's swinging his arms around trying to not run into anything and he accidentally bumps into the first blind man while he's testifying. I could see the first blind man spin around and look at him and look him up and down and look at the mud on his face and, and realize he's blind the way he's feeling around and say, man, what are you doing? You just ran into me. I could see the, the second blind man looking around to try to follow the voice because he can't see the man and saying, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm on my way to, to Siloam, Jesus Touch my eyes. Jesus, heal me. Now, can you imagine 
the first blind man that's out there testifying, witnessing, and building a following and a doctrine about his immediate healing, coming in contact with Messiah, bumping into this guy with mud on his face and spit on his face, feeling his way around, still obviously blind, claiming to be touched and healed of the same thing that this man was touched and healed of. I can only imagine what might be said right there. I can only imagine the first blind man looking at him and looking around at his newfound congregation and pointing to this other blind man and saying, I don't know what he got, but he didn't get what I got. I don't know who touched him, but whoever touched him is not who touched me. I don't know what what he's going through, what kind of false doctrine he's claiming over here, but that, my friend, is not the truth. I hope you're following me. I hope you see what I'm saying here. We've got to be careful that we don't claim, that we don't go around basically uh, saying that anybody that has anything different than what we have is not of God. That could come very close to blasphemy, my friend, if we weren't careful. I'm not saying not to try the spirits. I'm not saying there's not false doctrines out there. But I am saying that there's lots of times, and here we have proof that Jesus does things different to different people at different times. Just because what we got, we got it immediately, doesn't mean that the next person might not get it through a process. This second man did go and did wash and did get healed, and it was a miracle of Jesus. Praise God. See, now we've got this conflict, these two conflicting situations here. So as humans, what are we going to do? We're going to do the same thing humans always do. We're going to look for a tiebreaker. (laughs) Isn't that what people do? They're always looking for tiebreakers. Little kids will be playing out in the yard. Well, yeah, I, I think this way. Well, no, I think this. I think we should do this. No, I think we should do Oh, yeah, well, mom said. There's the tiebreaker. Hey, we can go over here. It's okay to go over here. No, I don't think we should go over there. We're not supposed to go over there. Yes, I, we, I've gone over there before. We can go. Oh, yeah, well, dad said. Boom, tiebreaker. You know, I've been around a lot of preachers that do this. They go to the fellowship meetings, the camp meetings. They go through the service and they preach real big and they work in the altar and all that. And then they go to dinner with the families and the friends and the fellowship. And eventually everybody goes back to their trailers and starts going to bed. And you get five or seven or 12 preachers sitting around a table late, late at night. And they start arguing about pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib and throwing out scriptures as if the Bible was written to be used against itself and argued and debated. And pretty soon it's nobody's winning and say, oh yeah, well, brother so-and-so said, Oh, yeah, well, well, but so-and-so preaches that, and whoever can throw out the biggest name preacher is the one that wins the argument. The tiebreaker. Let's, let's, let's go ahead. Let's go for the tiebreaker. Let's look at the third man and see which one of the first two he matches up with so that we can find out which one of these other two clowns is an imposter. We need a tiebreaker. We need a third blind man so we can find out which one of the first two blind men was lying. 
I know this is crazy, but this is the way we do things. And maybe this will help teach us to stop it. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 is where we find the third blind man. The Bible says, and he cometh to Bethsaida. What? And he cometh to Bethsaida. Hey, we got it. I, I don't even need to finish reading the third blind man's story. I don't even need to get down to where he gets healed. It's, it's obvious already. The reason it's obvious is because this third man gets, gets healed in Bethsaida, which actually Bethsaida is probably the second most important place in this whole part of the world at the time, second only to Jericho as far as population and commerce and, and wealth of religious backgrounds and all these things. This third man got healed in an important place. We, we see now, see, it, it makes sense to me because the first blind guy's story looked more like what I'm used to. It looked more like what I expected. That's what we do a lot of times. We take our religious situation and we try to find it in the Bible to prove ourselves right instead of just reading the Bible with prayer and, and through the Spirit to find that if we're right or wrong, we take uh, the assumption that we're right and we find Scripture to back us up. We need to just take Scripture for what it's worth and let us either help us or correct us or convict us or condemn us or encourage us. The Bible, let it be the Bible. Because one would say, yeah, that first guy's story makes sense to me. I believe Jesus heals immediately. I, I believe that we got to just really act out a little bit and just get beside ourselves. I, I believe that. So the second guy, that whole thing about spit and everything, that never made sense to me anyway. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm with the first guy and the third guy. Because after all, it says it happened in Bethsaida. Let's just go ahead and read the rest of it, though, just to be sure. And they bring blind man unto him and besought him and, and to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town. And when he had spit, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here, here's spit again. What in the world? When he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked if he saw aught. Man, now I'm thoroughly confused because the Bethsaida part matches up with the first blind guy. The spit matches up with the second blind guy. If we were really spiritual and prayed up and understood what was happening here and we were involved in this third blind man and we knew about the first blind man and the second blind man, what we would probably come to the understanding of, we see different strands of how God works in different places, but there is some commonalities and Jesus did heal every one of these men. So sometimes he works certain ways. Sometimes he works other ways. Sometimes he mingles the ways. It says that he asked him if he saw it. He looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. Man, I am thoroughly confused now. This first guy, or third guy started lining up with the first guy. Then he started lining up with the second guy. Now, I don't understand what's going on. I, I see men as trees walking. This is actually one of my favorite verses in the New Testament where he said that he sees men as trees walking. One of the reasons is because I think it's a far greater miracle than what we have realized. 
I, I, I know what would happen amongst religious people. I know what would happen amongst most church folk if they'd have been there when this third situation happened and, and Jesus would have touched them. We always have faith in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We say we're all about Jesus. And then Jesus does something, and it may not be the way exactly we had our standard lined up for him to do that. So we immediately question Jesus. We don't say it that way. We don't present it that way. But God has done a lot of things for a lot of people that we didn't let it come in and be a part of our faith system because it didn't fit our pre-approved box. And that's what could happen right here. It would be very easy for me to understand that there'd be a bunch of church folk around, a bunch of disciples, a bunch of followers, a bunch of onlookers, and Jesus would touch this man's eye eyes and then say, you know, what do you see? And he would say, I see ministries walking and I could immediately hear a bunch of whispering and carrying on in the background. People say, what kind of knucklehead is this? Men don't look like trees. Trees don't walk. What's wrong with this guy? We need to be careful because if we're one of the ones saying what's wrong with this guy, what we're really saying is what's wrong with the way that Jesus is doing this. It doesn't fit our way. It doesn't match our box. It doesn't line up to our standard, to what we already know and believe, what we're already comfortable with. What's, we're, we're not really saying what's wrong with this guy. We're saying what's wrong with Jesus and his ways. Why doesn't he just do it the way we, we've pre-decided we'll accept it? I think this was a far greater miracle than we give it credit for. Think of a blind man, a, a, a young boy, blind, a, a blind at birth and four or five years old and playing outside with his brothers and sisters and mom and dad says, watch your brother. He, he can't see. Watch out for him. And, and, and the kids are all playing and the blind boy's sitting there in the yard listening to him play. And, and uh, all of a sudden somebody throws a ball and somebody goes to catch the ball and somebody yells, hey, watch out for that tree. And it's the first time that the little boy ever remembers hearing a reference to a tree and he yells at his big brother and he says, he said, uh, Bubba, what's a tree? And he said, well, it, uh, it's, it's a tree. It's a big a plant, you know, grows up. He said, what's a tree look like, Bubba? Well, you know, it looks like a tree. It, it, it starts down at the bottom, at the ground, and it, it goes straight up in the air and gets up towards the top, and it's got uh, limbs sticking out on on all sides and uh, swaying in the wind and and uh, leaves on it. It, it it's a tree huh it's a tree okay okay thank you thank you bubba and and from now on for the rest of his life whenever anybody says tree he has a picture in his mind of what he believes a tree looks like maybe several days later they're out there playing again and and, and some some stranger walks down the the dirt road out in front of the you know, the path out in front of the, the house there and, and, and Sissy yells out to the other siblings and says, hey, everybody, wave at the man. And they're all waving. And the little blind boy says, what, what, what's, a, what's a man look like? And Sissy says, well, you know, he, he looks like a man, like dad. What's dad look like? Well, you know, he... He just, he's like a person standing there. He 
stands on the ground and, and goes straight up in the air and he's got long arms that are out to his sides that he can swing back and forth when he's walking and he 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 just he looks like a man. Okay, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. So now for the rest of his life, every time he hears uh, the anybody say anything about a man, he's got this picture in his mind of what a man looks like. And all of a sudden one day, Jesus touches his eyes and says, what do you see? And he says, I see men as trees walking. If, if, if he had those references and he put those pictures in his mind and he'd never seen either one of them before, and here, my, here I am, Todd Sloggett, six foot eight, 200 pounds, and I go walking past as he gets touched by Jesus and he sees me walk by and he says, I see men as trees walking. I submit to you that it's very possible that this isn't the, the, the healing that we thought it was, isn't the touch that we thought it was. A lot of times we make it sound like, well, it was so cloudy and he was barely could and Jesus only kind of sort. He very well might have pretty much seen at the time, but he just didn't have the references that we have. I want to tell somebody, if you were raised in church, if you were brought up in this, if you know the Bible frontwards and backwards before you're 20 years old because you've been in Sunday school all your life and, and you know Jesus and you know the sanctification, ratification, modification, you know all the religious words and all of that and you know how to act and what to expect and when to raise your hand and when to say amen and then you get around somebody that wasn't raised in church and they got the tattoo on their neck and they got the piercing in their tongue and they don't wear all the appropriate attire but they, they, they claim something in Christ. They claim claim that Jesus touched them. They claim that they prayed. They claim that they're saved. And you look at them or you listen to them. They don't sound quite right. They don't look quite right. I would be careful, my friend, to go too far to criticize that just yet. It may very well be that they really do have something that they just, they, they didn't have as good a start in this as we did. I can only, I can only imagine knowing church folk like I know them. I can, can you imagine what would happen if, if, if folk that we know were standing there, they would begin to criticize and mock and question. This isn't what it looks like. This isn't what it sounds like. This isn't what somebody that gets that acts like. Men don't look like trees. Trees don't walk. Are you crazy? <clears throat> Let me tell you, if somebody was there that was prayed up and, and saved and sanctified and in tune with the Spirit of God would have done. They'd have been standing there anticipating, praying for a miracle, watching Jesus touch the man's eyes, hearing the master say, what do you see? Hearing the man say, I see men as trees walking. A, a real saying of God, before they got to the word men, I see men. Before he said men, somebody probably would have started shouting. Somebody probably would have started running. Somebody probably would have said, praise God, because he said, I see, I see something. I've never seen anything. I see men as trees walking. I've been blind my whole life. I've only known Jesus for about 30 seconds and I already see something. Praise God. This is what's going on in a lot of churches. 
Somebody comes in and they're on drugs and they're they're shacked up in adultery and and they cuss and they drink alcohol and smoke cigarettes and all and they come to one church service or two church services or three church services and they get down and they pray and they pray awkward and they do the little uh, uh, Catholic symbol cross over their chest at the altar. It makes us uncomfortable. It doesn't look like we're used to it looking. It doesn't sound like we're used to it sounding. And, and, and they get up and they feel touched and they say, I got help and Jesus is my savior. And and we watch them and come to find out they, they quit taking drugs and they quit drinking alcohol and they don't swear quite as much and and but but sooner or later we see them outside the church service and they're still smoking a cigarette and some knucklehead says oh they didn't get it no no they're out there smoking they're not they're not real they're not they didn't get saved i got saved 39 years ago i laid down the cigarettes that first day never picked them up again this guy claimed to be saved for two weeks and he's still smoking he didn't get it are you with me what should they be saying? They shouldn't be saying he didn't get it. He's still smoking. Somebody should be saying, praise God, he hasn't had any drugs in two weeks. Praise God, he used to curse every other word and he slipped up and cursed one time yesterday and he apologized for it. Praise God, he can see something. <laughs> After that, Jesus put his hands on him again and made him look up and he was fully restored and he saw every man clearly praise God you see what I see here in these scriptures I see that there's three different things that can happen to you when you come to Jesus with blindness number one he could heal you immediately number two he could give you something to do and of course, if you do it, if you follow through, he will too. There's a lot of folks in church still today been having the same prayer request for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. And we just keep praying and we keep believing. But one of the reasons why some folks never get finished getting what they need is because God already gave them something to do and they won't do it. When you get willing to do what God gave you to do, if you follow through, he will too. I've been there where people got healed immediately of drugs, of cancer, of all kinds of things. And I've been there where God gave somebody something to do. And as they followed through, then God did too. And I've also been there like the third man where all Jesus wanted him to do was just keep hanging around. I touched you. You see it. You see some. You know I'm real. You know this is right. You're not in a place right now where I can heal you immediately. I don't think you can handle it. You're not in a place right now where I can give you something to do. You're not prepared for that yet. So you fall into the third category. Just keep coming. Keep coming on Sunday morning. Keep coming on Sunday night. Keep coming on Wednesday night. Keep reading your Bible. Keep saying your prayers. Keep saying your, your uh, paying your tithe. Keep coming. 
You come Sunday morning and I will give you a touch that will get you all the way through to Sunday night. You come back Sunday night and I'll give you plenty to make it back till Wednesday night. We'll just keep getting through week after week and month after month and year after year. Someday you're going to realize all that I did for you. Sometime, some point you're going to see all men clearly. But you just need to stay right here. Stay right here. I got more for you. Oh, praise God. So you've got some that he heals immediately. You know, I've dealt with a lot of drug addicts. Uh, A handful were healed immediately of drugs. And most of them that I've ever seen get clean off drugs, get clean incrementally. And I feel like a lot of the younger people, I know for a fact that a lot of the younger people that were on drugs for the first time that got messed up and came to Jesus, he healed them immediately. I've seen it lots of times in the young people. Older people seems like that have tried to get clean over and over and over and over again. Jesus will touch them. He will save. If you ask him to save you, he will save you. He promised and he's good on his word. But sometimes he only takes them off drugs. that He lets them struggle. It's, it's almost as if God's saying, I'm not going to heal you immediately. I tried that. You didn't do it. It didn't work. You've proven that's not for you. I am going to be here for you. I am going to get you through this. I'm going to give you enough to keep getting you by, but you got to stick around. Now, listen, we already know that all three of these guys were genuinely healed by Jesus. But if these three incidents happen in many religious circles, ours not necessarily excluded, we know what would happen. Perhaps the two guys that had the spit involved would get together and start the secret sect of the Savior's saliva church or whatever, and they would box out the other guy that had no spit. Or or probably the two guys from the two predominant cities, the one from Bethsaida and the one from, from Jericho, they would, the, uh, they would get together and they would... They, they, would, they would start the uh, uh, Christ's important people from important places parish, and they would leave out the middle guy. We know that people do things like this. We know that we've done things like this. Do you know why they do things like this? Because church folks, for some reason, need enemies. The more Pentecostal we are, the more conservative we are, the more evangelical we are, the more we are subject to the fact that we have a tendency to thrive when we strive. If we're fighting against someone or someones or some things, we tend to produce more and preach better and have higher services. We thrive when we strive. We are awesome fighters, but we are often terrible builders. If it's bad, we can tear it down, but if it's good, we we really don't know what to do about that. So we take that which is good and we dissect it and dissect it and dissect it and dissect it until we can finally find some little something wrong with it, and then thank God we can go back to fighting again. Man has a way of always somehow making it about him. But the truth is, Jesus proved in these three instances that it had nothing to do with if you are known or not known. It has nothing to do with if you're important or not important from the right family or the not the right family. It has nothing to do if the people are for you or against you because some of them they were encouraging and some of them they were telling to hush up and be quiet. It doesn't seem to matter if it happens in the right place or, quote, the wrong place. It doesn't seem to matter if it's loud or soft. Some were yelling, some weren't. It doesn't seem to matter if it was instantaneous 
this or if it takes a process. Don't get a brother wrong. I believe that there is a, a, a standard and a formula, but it, it needs to be the biblical standard and the biblical formula. And I'm here to tell you the biblical standard and the biblical formula is a lot simpler than we've made it. Here, here's what I find in, in the Bible. I find that number one, they had to be blind. Y'all remember that song, Amazing Grace? I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. If they don't realize they're blind, they're not going to get healed of blindness. So number one, you have to be blind. Number two, you have to end up where Jesus is. Number three, you have to let him. Number three, sorry, he has to do the work in you. He chooses. He has to do the work in you. And number four, you have to let him. The biblical standard of healing blindness is you have to realize you're blind. You have to end up where Jesus is. He has to choose to do the work in you, and you have to let him. That's it. That's the standard. In the church, in the car, in the bar, in the street, in the apartment, everybody encouraging you, everybody telling you that you can't, everybody kneeling, standing, sitting, bawling like a baby, screaming at the top of your lungs, head hung low in shame, people praying all around you, or you praying by yourself off in the corner. It doesn't seem to matter. That's not part of the standard. I believe I'm out of time. I'm going to have to take a part two on this one. Follow up with Three Blind Men, Part 2. Oh, no, it's going to give me more time. Stay with me. Praise God. So, this is the standard. This is the standard. You have to be blind. You have to know you're blind. You have to end up where Jesus is. You have to go to a place where he's moving. Jesus has to do the work in you. He chooses. And you have to let him. You have to allow it to be done his way doesn't have to be at a certain place it doesn't have to be at a certain time it could be one of those incidents where you felt like goosebumps were on top of your goosebumps or it could have just been a quiet piece uh, covered you like a warm blanket you could have described it as lightning and thunder or a gentle cool breeze it could be like fire shut up in your bones or it could simply be like the 